welcome to the Social World Podcast, Thoughts on the Social World. I'm Dave Niven, and I'm delighted to have your company. Now, this week, I'm going to be talking with uh, Barty Patel, who's the chief executive of ECPAT, E-C-P-A-T, that used to be called End Child Prostitution in Asian Tourism, which was a massive enough job in itself, but now it's even more widespread and, and focuses a lot on child slavery and child trafficking. And Barty gives a fascinating interview, and a, a lot of you, I hope, will um, listen to what she says and the, the depth of need in this country and elsewhere should resonate with all of you that want to protect children. So I'm going to be talking with Barty, and she'll introduce herself, but at the same time, I also like to put a little bit of a shout out that uh, later this week, from Sunday the uh, 12th until the 15th of April, I'll be uh, managing the media at the BASPSCAN Congress in Edinburgh, their triennial. BASPSCAN's the British Association for the Study and Prevention of Child Abuse and Neglect, and um, if anybody wants to have a good old look at it, the, the BASPSCAN website is baspscan.org.uk, and the uh, hashtag is hashtag 9ed2015. So have a good look. There's a phenomenal amount of... Um, experts gathering from around the world, 800 of them, uh, in Edinburgh for this three-day uh, event. But today's podcast is Barty Patel, and what she's got to talk about is distressing. What she's got to talk about is an evil that we really need to get to grips with in this country. We don't realise the depth of it, we don't realise the scale of it, and we certainly need to do far more to eradicate it. So without any further ado, Barty Patel. Okay, welcome then, Barty. Thanks very much indeed for joining me today. Now, you're the Chief Executive at ECPAT, and I wonder if you could just explain, because there's a lot of people listening that might not know what ECPAT is and what it does, so if you could just explain a little bit about it, that'd be, that would be brilliant. Of course, David. ECPAT UK is a leading child rights charity and a member of the ECPAT international network that exists in over 75 countries across the world. Our aim and our objective, if you like, is, is very much for every child to be free from threats of trafficking, abuse and exploitation. So we're talking about children that are abused sexually as well as exploited, mm. non-sexually, forced labour, forced criminality. Um, our main mission, if you like, it's very much to campaign for the protection of children everywhere. Protection of children that are victims of trafficking, but also prevention of children from being trafficked and being exploited in the first instance. We also call for the prosecution of the perpetrators. So looking out for those that are abusing the children, those that are violating the children's rights, making sure that governments of every country is responsible for protecting children and responsible for preventing people committing such crimes against children. Okay, right. So, I mean, now, just one quick thing. ECPAT, what does it actually stand for, the ECPAT? The original mandate, if you like, and the original acronym for ECPAT is End Child Prostitution in Asian Tourism. Mm, I remember reason, that 20 odd years ago, yes, yes. That's right. And the reason for that was that it was very much about nationals from the richer countries traveling to Asia 
uh, as tourists and seeking out children for sexual abuse. Mm. Um, uh, and today you've grown, I mean, Eggpat has grown exponentially, hasn't it, across the world? It's still your international base is Thailand, but, but you're very much contemporaneously involved with the UK and Eggpat UK, which you're the chair, you're the uh, chief exec of. Now, one of the big feathers in your cap, if you like, happened a week ago when the Modern Slavery Act achieved um, royal assent in Parliament. Do you want to just, and you were also one of the real organisations that pushed for that. Could you just explain a little bit why that came about and what the issues were that caused that to came about? Absolutely. I think we were one of the key organisations that has been campaigning for the government of the UK to introduce measures to protect particularly child victims of trafficking. But we do know that there are thousands of human beings that are trafficked um, into the UK or as well as across the globe. We're looking at millions of children children mm. and adults being trafficked. So for a long time, we've been saying to governments that we need particularly children to be protected from this kind of abuse. The European Commission has also put out conventions as well as directives expecting and directing every EU member state to ensure that they have adequate measures, adequate provisions to protect um, adults as well as children from such exploitation and abuse. Also to ensure that they have adequate measures to prevent and to prosecute the uh, criminals mm. uh, that are abusing and trafficking children as well as adults. It what, the sorry. sorry. No, go ahead. Yes, it's taken the government a very, very long time to actually heed to our concerns. For a very long time, they, they felt that they had adequate measures in place. They felt that they didn't really need new pieces of legislation, that our legislation was, was adequate to, uh, to cover, if you like, the measures that were required under the EU directives and under the conventions. But our research clearly showed that this was not the case because we were finding children continuing to be trafficked. We were finding perpetrators continue to traffic children and yet not be prosecuted. And we were finding that uh, children once identified by uh, local authorities um, were actually going missing and being mm, re-trafficked. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you just perhaps for the sake of spelling it out, I think most of the listeners can understand the, the context, but just just explain maybe one or two kind of um, made-up case examples of what the kind of circumstances that some of these children have had to endure. Of course, let's talk about a, a 10-year-old girl who was brought in by a family known to her from Pakistan, was brought in and crossed our borders. Her passport stated that she was 20 years old. She was 10 and she was kept in a house in the United Kingdom and being and abused. She was asked to do all the domestic chores in the house. She was also then abused sexually uh, by the family members. Um, it, was, it took 10 years for authorities in this country to actually identify her, find her. Now, this was a woman, this was a child who could hardly speak any language and she was also, I believe, deaf. And so the system that we have in this country failed to protect that particular child and she continued to suffer abuse at the hands of, of families that brought her here. Mm. That's one example. We're also talking about numbers of Vietnamese boys being trafficked from Vietnam through into the UK, being forced to cultivate cannabis 
Right. So they are, they've been trafficked and they've been asked, they've been locked up in homes where the houses are being used uh, to farm cannabis in this country. Sadly, when police eventually find the um, the houses that are cultivating mm. cannabis and find these young boys uh, working in the farm, working in the houses and, and looking after the, far, the, the cannabis plants, they lock the child out. They they treat the child as a criminal when really the child is a victim of trafficking and therefore need the protection. So we've been looking for ways and means of ensuring that those that have responsibility to protect and to also enforce um, legal laws in this country recognize the difference between a criminal and the difference between a, a child that has been forced to commit criminal acts. No, absolutely. And obviously, the, the methods of actually smuggling these children into the country um, are pretty sophisticated, I expect. Yeah, again, David, you need to be careful of the words here. These are not smuggled children. These will be children that have been re recruited from the countries. Uh, we're talking about Vietnam, Nigeria, Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania, many of these countries, India. Children are recruited from families often who are not able to look after them, who are mm. not able to provide them with the kind of support that they need, the kind of education that the children would need. So often children are sold a dream. Right. And they're recruited with the view to saying that they'll be in the UK, well, they'll be able to go to have education, they'll be able to work and send money back home. But when they are in the country, they are then exploited. So it's not so much smuggling, they're actively recruited for the purposes of exploitation. That is the definition of trafficking. Okay, but getting them into the country, obviously, is not a, not a straightforward task, I would expect. And um, obviously, people are particularly skilled now in um, bringing these children here. There's no doubt about it. Those traffickers, particularly either operating in gangs or groups or as individuals, are quite sophisticated. They have found ways and means of passing these children through our borders, often on false documentation, often being told to particularly recite a story as to who they are. And children believe them. Children yeah. have this connection with the trafficker and believe that the trafficker is acting in their interest. And they tell this story as they cross our borders when they are questioned. Um, so, yes, they are crossing our borders. They are coming across. And there has been a, a particular uh, problem with our authorities um, being able to identify children as trafficked and provide the protection that they need. Fair enough. Well, I mean, have you got any sense of the scale of this? Because I imagine it's a very difficult um, scale to quantify. It is very difficult uh, to quantify because it is very much a hidden, it's still a hidden problem despite some of the data that we have. According to the government's own data, and they do collect uh, data on, on potential victims of trafficking, last year there were something like 2,700 um, adults, children being trafficked into this country. Of this, 22% were children. Mm. So we're looking at over 600 children were reported as being trafficked in the UK. And that's just the ones we know about. You've just got it. That's just the ones we know about. Now, the government itself admitted very recently that they believe that the numbers of people trafficked into the UK um, and within the UK actually is about 13,000. Okay. What what sanctions does the Modern Slavery Act bring to bear now? This 
the Modern Slavery Act has has been perhaps one of the most important single piece of legislation that um, has now been introduced in England and Wales, and the, the Scotland are, are looking into into doing this. They've just introduced a bill which will go through its processes. What it does is it will it kind of is a single piece of legislation that puts together some of the criminal actions of slavery, servitude, covering trafficking, exploitation and abuse of both children and adults and ensuring that traffickers are prosecuted yeah. and they would get a life sentence for this particular crime. Right. It's also going to ensure that those victims of trafficking will have a defense these are the adult victims, will have a defense against any criminal activities that they've been forced to engage in. But more importantly for us, it will ensure that children that are identified as trafficked will be referred to, to agencies that now then, that will have the responsibility to protect and safeguard them and to provide all the rights that children have as children, irrespective of their status, whether they are citizens or immigrants. Okay, let's move on slightly to another uh, issue, still the same kind of um, area of, of work, but something that's dear to both of our hearts. And um, I was involved, as you know, about 20 years ago in, in heavily sort of lobbying for and working towards getting the um, Sex Offences Act through, but not just the register of offenders, but the extraterritorial legislation part of it that essentially dealt with British men going abroad to abuse children and um, providing the facility in British law to prosecute them here in Britain if they hadn't been prosecuted in the country where the offence took place. Mm -hmm. And to our great shame, we know that only a handful of people have been prosecuted under this legislation in the uh, intervening years. And that is uh, not anything like some of the other countries in the world who've got similar legislation and I feel it's a, just as a, a shameful episode in our history because we know that hundreds of British men still do go abroad to abuse children, believing that it's much easier to ab abuse children in other countries than it is to abuse them here. How, what's your take on this, Barty? I must admit, David, when I took over this role with ECPAT UK, it isn't something that I was aware of. It isn't something that's been known out there. So I think the pieces of legislation that you're talking about, the, the Section 72 extraterritorial regulations, and even the thought of British nationals traveling abroad and committing sexual crimes against children is something that none of us would actually believe. We all kind of have this culture of disbelief. Uh -huh. you know, it can't happen. But with recent um, profiling of some of the abuse that's taken place in the UK, the Jimmy Savile case is um, very clear in this. It's now coming very much, if you like, in our, in our front rooms. We now know these things happen. And so that culture of belief has started to set in. And having started working in, in EGPAT UK, I was shocked that we've documented over 200 cases of British nationals who have abused children outside of the UK, often with impunity, knowing that they can get away with this because laws and regulations in those countries, if they are not, if, if they are there, they're very much weaker than, than we have and also not adequately enforced. And they know this. But the Section 72 was a piece of legislation that should have 
and has the potential of ensuring that no British national can commit this crime and feel that they can get away with it. But sadly, as you said, it is mm -hmm. so inadequately used. It's not used in the numbers that we're talking about. No, I mean, uh, and um, the, the fallacy that, that men who abuse children abroad just come home and don't do anything here either is just ridiculous um, in terms of the, the abusing kind of profiles that we have of, of people who are interested in children in that way. I mean, it's it's so obvious. I mean, I, I've been in places. I went to Sri Lanka. I went along the beachfront in Colombo. And within five minutes, I was offered children under five, either sex, for the price of a pint of beer. I think you're absolutely right. Often we talk about this as a hidden problem. But in the countries that you've just mentioned, and we, I can talk about other countries, we talk about Kenya, Uganda, Thailand, mm -hmm. Vietnam, you know, many, many countries across the world, South Africa, also Spain. Let's not forget something that happens, you know, not far from where we are now. Um, it's visible, it is happening, and, and people are very much open about this. And so it's not a hidden problem, and yet no action is being taken to protect those children. No action is being taken to prevent um, individuals from, from committing this crime. And I think this explains why we keep hearing cases after cases after cases in this country of British nationals doing this. I mean, the, the, the late, you know, you, you talk about Gary Glitters of the world that was recently convicted um, for his crimes against children in, in Vietnam. Uh, we are talking about... Um, what about the pilot, that case you were talking to me about earlier? Do you want to outline that a little bit? Hey, this is an interesting case because often you have an image of a of a of a of an abuser, a child abuser, which doesn't quite fit in some of the cases that are coming through. This was a a, a guy, Simon Wood, who was a pilot with the British Airways. Um, sadly, Simon Wood is not not with us because he he died in a train accident soon before he was uh, due to be his case was due to be heard in the courts. But it's alleged that he has abused over thirty children during his stopovers in in Kenya and Uganda whilst he was flying with the with the BA, often volunteering his services in local orphanages. And this, we feel, is, is really their way of accessing and having that access to, to very vulnerable children who they can then abuse with impunity. Absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 it's classic, isn't it? The, the, the identification and almost corralling of vulnerable children and, and um, pulling the wool over the eyes of the adults who are around them, or maybe even not, which was even more heinous. I mean, it's basically what what abusers are doing is that they're grooming not just the child, so that the child gives himself or herself to them, but it's also grooming of the whole families, often paying families, uh, giving families gifts or giving them money, which, you know, is so desperately needed for mm -hmm. some vulnerable communities we're talking about. So as you said, it's pulling a wool over their eyes so that they can abuse that child. I mean... I know that, you know, when you're actually analysing this in the cold light of day and, you know, because it's such an emotive subject that you just immediately want in to, to sort of rush in and sort of surround children and protect them. But in many countries, it's still the case that where there's no welfare state, and I've come across this myself, I won't name where, but where there's no welfare benefits to the family, so that if the, f the parents are not working, there's absolutely zero income coming in. 
And often the only income is either going to come from, well, it's going to come from the, the, the child's activity. And so, of course, you interrupt that. You just cannot, you cannot, you know, condone that in any way. But you know that when you do that, you are essentially condemning a family to abject poverty. It's a really amazingly sort of heart-wrenching thing. But you, you just can't let a child be abused like that. I think you've just hit a very, very important point in this whole debate and discourse on how do we deal with this growing concern and growing problem of child trafficking into the UK or child abuse by uh, rich uh, citizens of richer nations. And it is very much about what is that child, what is the kind of protection that's available for children? What are those social welfare systems that are available for families that would ensure that children are not seen as commodities or sold as commodities, that, that children have access to to all the basic rights that every other child should have access to. So access to education, access to health services, and ensuring access for, for older children, access to livelihood opportunities so that they can earn their own living and that they don't have to resort to these kind of actions. So I think it is important to recognize that it is the lack of social protection at the global level. It's a lack of protection for children at the global level that is one of the driving forces in this in this mm. abuse of children. It, it smacks a bit of the kind of the same argument as the um, poppy farmers in Afghanistan. Uh, you know, in terms of what alternatives are there in terms of any kind of income for the family. Absolutely, and I think in in our search for solution to this problem, we have to recognise that other than criminalizing the activity of trafficking and of child abuse, and it is very important. We also have to have the prevention measures put in place. Mm. And that means looking at the factors that are causing the abuse of children. Well, why is it that, you know, not every child is abused? So many children are abused, but not every single child in, in this world is abused. There are many of us that live without that abuse and that have, a, have enjoyed our childhood. And it's, it's recognizing that and saying, how do we ensure that every child has and is able to grow up in an environment that is free from these threats? Oh, a huge, a huge task, I know. I mean, and, the United, and UNICEF would agree with you, wouldn't it, that in terms of actually the, the abject misery that um, millions of children around the, 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 the world are having to suffer, not just in the middle of war or famine or natural disasters or poverty, but at the hands of um, Western industrialized countries. Exactly, and this is where we also have to look at the kind of economic policies that we are pursuing in this country as well as pushing in, in some of what we call emerging economies where we talk about free markets and allowing companies to take advantage of the lack of regulations, be it employment rights or be it the way that you can use the local resources. And I think we need to really question the kind of economic policies that we are pursuing and pushing and saying what impact is it having on the local people? What impact is it having on the local resources? What I've heard from, from the data that we've collected is that many of the children that are recruited either for sexual abuse in the country of where they, they are living or trafficked 
um, into the UK usually are recruited from the rural areas. These are precisely places where the provision for child safety has not been invested in. So you're not you're looking at basic access to education is not there. You're increasingly looking at those communities that are being impacted by the industrialization processes that's happening in those countries and therefore depleting the resources that communities and families rely upon, leaving them with no choice but are forced to migrate out of their 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 areas, their rural places, and into cities where I think the risk to such abuses is much higher. Mm. I mean, and we haven't even touched on the huge swathes of the world that are embroiled in civil war and, and use um, legions of child soldiers, and also the huge swathes of the country uh, of the world that are embroiled in, in, in abject poverty and use child labor to make the clothes that we, in this country, wear on our bags. Absolutely, David, just said it. The problem is so complex. And there, the solution equally then has to be, in, in, in this sense, quite complex. We've got to recognize that there are different actions and different actors that are coming into play in this, in this area. And therefore, the responsibility of the different actors, not just the government. We've talked about the government's responsibility to protect and, and safeguard children and having adequate legislation as is the case with our Modern Slavery Act, but also to make sure that those that are that are given the mandate to execute the, the laws of the country in protecting children have got the resources to do, do so, have got the capacity to do so, have got the training to do so. And I think, again, in this country, what we are saying is that social workers who have a responsibility to look after children um, with due care need adequate resources to enable them to need that they need support to to be able to execute their responsibilities. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Barty. I mean, resources and and also law enforcement. To be fair, let, I mean, let's let's sort of not just absolutely criticise law enforcement. They haven't got adequate resources, in my view, to to deal with the scale of child abuse, not only in, in uh, abroad, I mean, but in this country alone, uh, what we're actually seeing coming out of the woodwork now as people get more confident about about uh, whistleblowing and more confident about talking about things. I mean, maybe as a sort of uh, one of our final points, we could uh, I could ask you a little bit about ECPAT's um, camp, current campaigns. What, what are you actually sort of looking to do? What messages do you want to put out there to the public and to people listening in the professional communities? David, I think this is probably one of the most challenging questions that I've been asked, <laughs> partly because we've just described how complex and how challenging this whole issue that we've got, we've been given a mandate for, um, is. And, and therefore, having campaigned and having got some key pieces of legislation in place in, our, in, in the UK, I think it's important to recognise how this is going to pan out. Um, we are going to be looking for adequate implementation. We are looking, we're going to be asking governments to ensure that they will adequately resource the law enforcement agencies as well as child protection agencies in this country uh, with the, the, the types of capacity that they need to, to be able to protect children. Further afield, what we'd like to do is make sure that the state, in this case, the UK government, takes the responsibility for its citizens as well as its corporate 
sector that have uh, operations outside and the citizens are traveling outside or are living abroad, that they have got the, um, they've got the authority to mm. protect um, children particularly and that they've got they've got clear understanding of what their uh, what is legal and what is illegal. What a, okay, what, absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, just a little bit, though, I forgot to mention, and I think you'd probably quite like to, child trafficking advocates. Now, that's something that um, apparently the, 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 um, the, the campaign following the your, your high-profile campaign about anti-slavery legislation, they're set to benefit from child trafficking advocates. I mean, the victims in this country, is that um, the House of Lords voted that through? Not only did the House of Lords voted it through with, with much kind of evidence that we were able to present to them, we've also managed to convince the Home Secretary to have an enabling clause in the um, uh, Modern Slavery Act to ensure that they have a re legal responsibility to hold authorities and agencies accountable when they act um, in providing the services to the, the traffic victims. So I think it is a major win for us. These mm. would be professionals that would be allocated to a potential child victim of trafficking and the individual, the, the guardian, in this case the advocate, will take full responsibility to, to ensure that they are on the side and by the side of the child and help the child negotiate his or her way through the, the, the rights that he that she mm. and him have have in this country and ensure that the decisions made on his behalf are in his best interest. Well, how would they be selected? Again, this is there's a trial at the moment, you may be aware of it, in 23 local authorities across the UK. There are child trafficking advocates being allocated to child victims of trafficking and Bernardo's are managing the trafficking advocates. And currently they have recruited them. They could be professional social workers with some very good skills in protecting children. But when the trial is over, this is a pilot, we will have a much better understanding of the kind of people that we need to be able to be guardians and be advocates for child victim mm. trafficking. I think there's a lot of people that would be will be very interested in that and would want to um, learn a bit more about it who are listening to this program. So um, maybe finally, before we get you kind of a to give a sort of a final message, just give us a few details if you wouldn't mind about how we might get in touch with you. Okay, this is this particular uh, child trafficking advocacy uh, pilot. We will be monitor. We are monitoring it, so we will be putting out different reports as it falls falls out um, in terms of how it is going to work. I think the best way to get information about what's happening on protection of children in the UK as well as protection of children abroad is to visit our website. Mm. Uh, we keep it updated um, regularly and the address is www.ecpat.org.uk. E oh, that's fine. Barty, any final messages you'd like to give? Uh in this, uh, well, I mean, imagine the people the people we're talking to, a lot of them are in the UK and a lot of them are in the States, but there are scattered all over about another 70-odd countries that tune into this, this broadcast. So what sort of general message would you give? Are things getting better? Or, I mean, and, and I qualify that by saying, I think they're getting better in this country, but 
because paradoxically we're getting to know that there are more victims. So in other words, people are a little bit more confident about challenging, a little bit more confident about coming forward. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, David. I think the culture of disbelief that we had for a very long time about such abuses happening to children has shifted significantly. There is now an understanding and almost a belief that it happens. The, the next issue is what are we going to do about it? Now we know it happens. We've given particularly victims that confidence to come forward and report their abuse. We're um, putting together professionals in this country to take the responsibility for victims and ensuring that they are protected. What's required now, and particularly for all of us as citizens of the globe, is ensure that we notice where this is happening, it's, it's being very clear about what is happening, and ensuring that we're putting the pressure on those that have a responsibility to protect children particularly, that they are doing everything they can to put in place adequate regulations, to put in place to have adequate resources and ensuring that it is it is working in practice, not just on policy. And so I think, again, supporting the work that ECPAT is doing, contributing to ECPAT's thinking on this is going to be quite important. So we would welcome any of your listeners to contact us directly and tell us, A, what's happening and whether what we are asking for, what we're seeking for child protection is enough. Bhartia Patel, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much, David. Well, I hope you found that useful. I certainly did. Um, I'm just so glad that there are organisations like ECPAT still functioning so well and so powerfully behind the scenes in this country. Have a look at their website. Have a look at the work that they do and uh, see if there's anything that you can do both professionally or personally, to um, link in with them. Because the more people that are uh, aware, the more we can do to help. Other than that, you can always download the, this podcast from iTunes, from Podfeed, from Stitcher. At uh, Dave Niven is my Twitter handle. Delighted to have your company as always, and see you very soon. <laughs>